if we are not aware of what's driving our behaviors and how we limit ourselves as mm-hmm. we enter those new spaces of opportunities, we are going to be passing them on to our kids as well. And this is particularly relevant for the Latino community. You are listening to Episode 7, Season 4 of the Latina Mom Legacy Podcast. How do you feel when you hear the saying, Calladita es mejor? Do you understand that if you're a Latina immigrant or child of immigrants, the way you and your family were taught to think has everything to do with the colonial mindset? Do you want to know how to change the way you think so that you can empower yourself and your kids? In this episode, Latina mom of two, business owner, and the author behind Uncolonized Latinas, Valeria Aloe, challenges us to change the way we think. Join us as we talk about how understanding our past can help us unlearn and heal our colonial mindset to move successfully forward. Plus, we'll talk about how she's raising bilingual kids, her favorite Argentinian food, and how soccer legend Leo Messi lives in her home. Well, sort of. Así que no te lo pierdas. You're listening to the Latina Mom Legacy Podcast, where we empower moms raising bilingual kids, talk about growing up Hispanic and tradiciones, and celebrate motherhood. It's time to keep it real, learn tips and tricks from other moms like you, and start creating a legacy your abuela would be proud of. If you're a Latina mom or have a multicultural family like mine, then you're in the right place. I am your host, proud immigrant daughter, rock star wife, and mom to now six-year-old Victoria Grace, my legacy founder and cafecito lover, Jani Perez. Hola, hola. ¿Cómo estás? I hope that you're doing well. I hope that life is treating you kind. Welcome to another episode of the Latina Mom Legacy. I am your host, Jani Perez, coming to you all the way from New Jersey. ¿Cómo estás? I hope that you're doing well. Oh my goodness, February has started. Can you believe que ya se fue el mes de enero? Like, is it me or did this month just fly by? Because, like, I feel like we were just opening presents yesterday. I mean, we kind of were opening presents last week. <laughs> In my defense, uh, I brought back some presents from Florida for Victoria to open soon. So it's still, you know, the holiday season, sort of. Valentine's Day is around the corner. I mean, Hallmark holiday. Hum, Hallmark holiday, if you will. Not, not, not a biggie in our home. So it is February 1st. It is freezing out here in New Jersey. We got some snow and I am I'm just like not a cold weather person. My husband and my daughter, they love the snow. Uh, my daughter has started snowboarding. She like like loves all these sports, all the winter sports. My husband does as well. And I'm like, you know what? Just put me next to a fireplace drinking hot chocolate and I'm good. Give me a book and my guija and I'm good. Yeah, I don't need to be outside making snowmen and freezing. No, no, that's okay. That I'll, I'll leave that up to the professionals. <laughs> Put me on a beach. Put me on a beach with a nice margarita, with some sun, uh, an, an umbrella. Because I, I like the sun, but I don't like to be in the sun. So all fun, all fun. Uh, everything is good. Everything is good over here. I am really excited to have some guests coming up over the next few weeks. And it's been good. It's been good. I will say that I am looking forward to sharing all those amazing interviews. Today, I have an amazing guest. And let me just tell you, this woman is like, what a privilege to to have interviewed her. She is the author behind Uncolonized Latinas, Transforming Our Mindsets and Rising Together. And Valeria Aloe is a beautiful person. We just go in depth and talk about our mindset, where our belief system comes from. And we go really deep and, you know, you realize that this is something that we inherited, that it's not our fault, that we need to consciously work at, you know, work on ourselves so that we can become better parents, work on ourselves so that we can feel worthy and we don't feel guilt and so many things that have plagued us for so long. So it's having these difficult conversations. It's having these conversations that bring to light our past and that acknowledges our past. While here at the Latina Mom Legacy, I love and embrace our history and, you know, all the wonderful things that that have been passed to us, our tradiciones and, and so many beautiful things. I do believe that there are things that do not serve us here today. They maybe served our families uh, back then, but today they may not serve us and they may not serve our children. So it's up to us and this generation to really rise up and try to break those patterns so that we can empower our children to take flight, really, to empower them to not have as as many limitations as we did. I mean, I am 43 years old. Uh, no, I shouldn't say I'm 43 years young. Shh. <laughs> and I still feel, I still feel very young, but I also feel like I'm learning so much. Like, I feel like I'm learning 
all these things that I wish I knew when I was in my 20s. So if you're in your 20s, if you're a young Latina mom and you're listening to the podcast, thank you so much because right now know that you have the privilege of listening to an empowering interview that may potentially change your life and change the way you think about your thoughts and think about everything that you grew up understanding. You have your whole life in front of you. I think when you get a little bit older, you're like, oh, <laughs> but it's never too late. It is never too late. You're never too old to learn. You're never too old to grow. Believe me, you're never too old to grow and and really to, to better yourself. So I can't wait to share this with you. Espero que te guste. Please, I have one favor before I send you away to the interview. I have one favor. If you like today's interview, I'm very proud of it. By the way, if you like today's interview and you feel that it empowered you in some way, can you take the time and leave a positive review? I know it's it's a lot to ask for somebody to go out of their way, but it's a way that you as a Latina can support another Latina, can support two Latinas, Valeria and myself, and really nurture a sense of community. Because you think about people read reviews, think about when you read reviews when you're on Amazon or when you want to uh, go to a restaurant, right? You go off of the reviews and the podcasts really are no different. People look at the reviews to see if it's worth listening to and to change our culture, to change the way we think about our community, change starts with us. So if I ask you one favor today is if you like today's episode, can you leave me a positive review? Te lo agradezco como no te imaginas. Espero que te guste and uh, y nada, I'll talk to you soon. If you want to take this conversation off the podcast and on the gram, you can find me at mi legacy spelled M-I-L-E-G-A-S-I or at the Latina Mom Legacy, both on Instagram. And uh, hit me up, send me some comments. Let's start the conversation. Te quiero, un abrazo, and I'll talk to you soon. Ciao, ciao. I am so excited to have on today's show, today's guest. She is a Latina mom. She's a business owner, and she is the author behind Uncolonized Latinas, Transforming Our Mindsets and Rising Together. Welcome to the show, Valeria Aloe. Welcome to the show. ¿Cómo estás? Muy bien, gracias, Jani. Thank you for having me here today. Super excited to be here with you. I know you're listening and you can't see us. I am radiating. I'm so excited and happy to have Valeria on the show because... I'm almost through the book. I'm more than halfway through the book. And I literally just bought it a few days ago. It is a book that I highly, highly recommend. It is like the must read book of the year, in my opinion. So I'm really excited to dive deep into so many subjects and topics that I feel are holding us back as Latinas, as moms. I, I can't wait to get into all of that. But first, let's get to know you a little bit better. Valeria, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, I was born in Argentina uh, in a small town became the first one to go to college. I have been in the U.S. I came here for an MBA at Dartmouth, and I've been here for the last 20 years. I'm a mother of Valentina and Tommy. They are 14 and 13, 15 months oh. apart. That was crazy. <laughs> I'm a wife, also married to an Argentinian, and our families are in Argentina. So we are, the four of us are the only ones here. I own my business. I've been in corporate for a long time. I have to say more than 20 years. But five years ago, I started to work closely with the Hispanic community, opened my business, and I do uh, transformational programs and recently launched this, uh, the, this book. And I'm doing speaking engagements all around how to help our Latinas succeed and have a, a good life, whatever success means for us, really. And it's so needed. And where are you residing these days? I live in cold, right now it's cold, New Jersey. <laughs> yes, she's, uh, she's a neighbor here. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> we have snow. We have snow. Yes, and cold. <laughs> I know it is freezing. Let's talk a little bit about your family. So you have uh, your background is from Argentina, and now are your children are they born in Argentina or are they born here in the U.S.? Born here, both. They're, yes, they're they're both born here. And now the million dollar question: Are you raising them bilingual? Yes, yes, and they have adopted the language differently. So. I have to say my, my daughter prefers to communicate in English mostly. Mm -hmm. and she switches she switched between English and Spanish. My son speaks more Spanish. He's a football soccer mm -hmm. lover. So it's all about, you know, he's he's a very Argent Argentinian, I have to say. <laughs> and yes, and given that our families are in Argentina, they have to speak Spanish because that's the only way to communicate con los abuelos. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about your journey raising them now that they're 13 and 14. Like, what was it like in the early years? versus what is it like now? So the early years were all about speaking Spanish 
um, eating Argentinian food, getting them into our, our culture, because mm-hmm. both my husband and I are from Argentina. So, and we were always proud of our roots and our culture. So we wanted our kids to embrace it. And we also saw that as a need for them to connect with the family in Argentina, for them to keep their roots, for them to to have that sense of family, even though we're, you know, we have a distance between mm-hmm. us. I just wanted them to be as close to the culture as, as we could. To give you an example, Jenny, when my son went to, actually when both my, my two kids went to, to daycare, I had to bring a piece of paper that said that leche is milk, mm-hmm. agua is water, because... <laughs> You know, the caregivers didn't speak Spanish, but my kids could ask for leche or agua. And they, you know, they didn't know how to speak English. Really, Spanish was the first language. And I am very excited about that because now we got to the point that they navigate the two cultures. Their brain can manage the two, the two languages. And it has changed to your point of how we sit now compared to when it was they were little. Now they are making their own decisions. Now they, mm-hmm. they decide if they want to communicate with me in English or in Spanish or, you know, some words really come to them faster and easier in English, some others in Spanish. And it's about walking with them through the process and allowing them mm-hmm. to, to make their choices, not to force or impose and allow mm-hmm. them to explore because I didn't want to create any resentment. I want them to be proud, to be happy about who we are in our culture. So to allow them to choose how they want to communicate and to, you know, not make them feel that there is something wrong about them. You know, that, that has been mostly now in the closer to the teenage years, allow that exploration. That's wonderful. I absolutely agree hundred percent that uh, we want to encourage, but we don't want to force. I was, I can say I was forced to speak Spanish because in our house, it was like, en esta casa solo se habla español. And sometimes uh, you do create a little bit of resentment in the child because as it is, as kids, you kind of want to go against what your parents, you know, a little bit of that authority, but encouraging is, is definitely the way to go. So in your home, as they were growing up, both your husband and you spoke to the kids only in, in Spanish? Yes, yes. And I have to say that I also said in this house, we only speak Spanish. I used to say that a lot. And that created a lot of resistance. Mm-hmm. My daughter particular, particularly would say, mom, you need to understand that the world outside of this house speaks in English. And sometimes it's easy for me, easier and faster to talk in English. And in the beginning, I resisted that as well. I was like, I want you to speak perfect Spanish. And you know, it created resentment. And I started to allow her, and this is my husband also saying, why don't we allow her to express the way she wants? Because she was trying to communicate something to us. And I was interrupting mm-hmm. her like, oh, no, no, speak in Spanish. Here we speak in Spanish. And I could just interrupt whatever she was sharing. And then she stopped sharing with us. So we started to allow, and that changed the dynamics, even of our relationship, I have to say. Oh, I love that. That's very empowering because I think that Sometimes we we're so hyper-focused on making sure that the language doesn't get lost, that the culture doesn't get lost. But we also fail to realize that, as you said, sometimes they there's a need for them to express themselves. And maybe they don't quite have the words to express themselves in Spanish or in whatever language that they're learning, that they need to uh, access those thoughts and those emotions quickly. And with that interruption, we're blocking them. Estamos cerrando esas puertas de comunicación. And that's definitely something that we don't want because we really want to, if anything, open those doors of communication because as you very well know, it has been ingrained so much in our lives. Quédate calladita o calladitas es mejor. And we want to break that and allow them to express themselves. And, And that's definitely something that we're going to be talking about a little bit later on the show. Let's talk a little bit about your tradiciones. How are you embracing your, your Argentinian uh, traditions with your family? So it's all about, you know, the food and the sports. Yes, for sure, the sports. <laughs> yes, so we love soccer. I have to say that my husband never loved soccer, football. Oh, but really? because my son embraced the sport and my daughter from a young age, we became soccer lovers in his house. And we oh. even have a, uh, my husband was gifted by, by a co-worker, a soccer ball signed by Messi. Oh, and wow. Our, yes. Y somos tan fanáticos that the soccer ball is sitting in next to my front door. So when you come to my house, the first thing you see is a soccer ball, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a piece of art sitting there. So that's one. Soccer is what really 
brings us very close to our culture. And we watch soccer from any of our countries, really, even European soccer. And also the food, we keep, you know, traditions from our country, empanadas, milanesas, of course, asado, Argentinian mm -hmm. barbecue. Um, we really keep those traditions of, of how we share meals, the type of meals we share, definitely eating as a family together. I make mm -hmm. uh, an emphasis on that because I find that this culture that is about, you know, sometimes kids eat earlier than their parents or at different times or because they have sports, but we make an effort really to be mm -hmm. intentional to, to sit down and talk and eat, which is something that that I believe is very valuable from our cultures, that time as a family together, that dialogue, and also fights sometimes. Why not? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So have your kids been to Argentina? Yes, we go to Argentina every year to visit our family. So they started to go there when they were probably four months old. Oh, wow. Yes. They embrace the culture. They know that when they go there, they get a little spoiled by everybody, you know, mm -hmm. because it's we celebrate birthday parties, even though it may not be your birthday, we celebrate your birthday anyways. <laughs> everybody gets presents, time with family. We go for ice cream together. We love um, helado de dulce de leche, of course. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just an immersion in the culture and they look forward to that. It's our one year trip to, to see family and to be embraced by mm -hmm. our loved ones and our culture. And it's something that we look forward to every year. Oh, I love that. I'm going to be taking uh, my daughter to Colombia to uh, visit my extended family for the first time ever in her life. So I'm wow. I'm super excited uh, and I'm making it a big deal. I'm making a, a big deal about it because I want her to have that experience because she just has like the pictures and the videos. And, you know, we talk to our family uh, all the time, but it's different than being immersed in the culture. So I, I can't wait yes. to share that experience with the, with her. That's amazing. Yes, I'm sure you will love it. And it's also so nice to observe our own kids, you know, navigating those experiences and being with family members that's, you know, hugging each other, kissing each other. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's a blessing. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I'm sure I, I'm preparing her. I'm like, just be prepared for, for La Familia. It's, it's going to be loud all the time. <laughs> yes, and hugging and kissing and touching. That's what we do. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Valeria, thank you so much for sharing with us. Are you a parent wanting to raise a bilingual child que hable español? Well, I have a freebie just for you. Simply go to the latinamomlegacy.com to download your free 20-page How to Raise a Bilingual Child guide with personal tips, toy recommendations, and much more. Remember, your journey doesn't have to be perfect, but you have to start somewhere. That's the latinamomlegacy.com. We are back and I can't wait to talk about this book and I can't wait to, to really empower you as a listener. My hope is that after you listen to this episode, that one, that you go by the book and really start thinking about where you come from, where you are today and how you can start changing your mindset so you can transform your future and our children's future. This conversation is, is going to be one that you definitely do not want to miss. Valeria, you've written this book on colonized Latinas. Tell us a little bit about your background and why you decided to write this book. So five years ago, 2016, I think it's five years ago, I had a burnout. As a Latina who was working and also a mom with multiple responsibilities and family away, not here in, in the U.S., I put a lot of responsibilities on myself and I tried to do them all very well. And maybe that's because I'm a perfectionist, but I, I loaded myself with too much. And in 2016, I burnt out. And that burnt out was the first time in my life that I had the opportunity to stop because, you know, I had been the first to college, the first to corporations. And I put a lot of pressure on myself. We all do that as Latinas, right? We want to, when we're the first generations to go into spaces, we want to excel, not only for us, for our parents, because of the sacrifices, because they didn't have the opportunity, because they paved the way for us. So in a way, it's a sense of pride, right, to go out and to achieve. But when you achieve and you also have the gender expectations, gender role expectations that the culture puts on us Latinas, mm -hmm. which is to be an amazing wife, a perfect mm -hmm. mother, to take care of everybody around you, it may be too much. So I did both. 
I ended up being very immersed in my profession, very, very immersed in my family life, taking care of my kids, being a present mother. And I stopped caring for myself. And that was a big mistake. I burnt out. So I stepped out of my life entirely because I was emotionally depleted. I was like in this dark zone, trying to figure out why am I even alive? I, I was entirely depleted of any energy. And I embarked on a search. You know, what can I do that is good for my soul that makes me wake up in the morning and be happy? And I received an invitation to attend an event for the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce of New Jersey. And that was the first time that I was surrounded by many Latinas and Latinos. Mm -hmm. The first time in like 16 years in this country, right? It's unbelievable that that was the case, but it was my first time. And I ended up doing professional development workshops and training for Latinos. And I noticed that because I've been a lover of mindset transformation and self-empowerment tools, I embraced those like more than, I don't know, 20 years ago when in Argentina, even before coming here. So I, I noticed that those mindset blocks that I had as a Latina, I was observing them in other Latinos, both immigrants and children of immigrants, that we hold ourselves back. So I became passionate about this and I started to mm -hmm. do research. And I ended up launching this book and Colonize Latinas transforming our mindsets and rising together, which essentially goes in depth into understanding those cultural behaviors, those cultural limiting beliefs that we carry and that deplete us, that hold us back from success professionally and in life, I have to say both, mm -hmm. and uh, can take us very easy. Those limiting beliefs can take us very easy to erode those frustration, depletion, and even exhaustion as, as I, I've been through. So that's how the book journey started. It's honestly, it's incredible. You break the book down into four very distinct parts. And what I love about the book is that you start painting a picture of our past and how our past influences us today. In part one of the book, you talk about understanding where we come from. How has our Latino culture influenced our current beliefs? Take us a little bit back in time and how that began. So it becomes centuries ago. So when I started to do my research about why do we limit ourselves? I was interested to learn why the US is so developed as an economy versus the rest of Latin America. And I started to study even colonization and how that happened. And what happens is that our lands were depleted, our lands were colonized in Latin America, and we come from a culture that has been for centuries giving the message that what we have to offer doesn't count, doesn't matter. And I'm not talking about just those who were Native Americans. I look white. My family came from Europe, as many other families who went to our Latin American countries. Mm -hmm. But then we became multiracial. We have a mix of, of blood and races and genetics. But when you are, no matter your skin color, my point is when you are born in a land that has been denominated a third world country, mm -hmm. there is this influence in your mindset that you're in a space that is this, there's something wrong with our culture, that where we come from doesn't measure up to the <laughs> developed economies. So when we come to the U.S., we feel inferior. Those immigrants who come to the U.S. are coming like asking for permission, being in a way thankful to be allowed to be in this country. We put down our heads and do the work, but we never ask for what we need. So there are many behaviors that come from that roots of colonization and the influence in our mindsets that what we have, no one cares about. What we have to say doesn't matter and our value is not recognized by others. So that's the root of where we come from. We also come from trauma. And this is a word that showed up so much in my conversations with Latinas mm. when I wrote this book. Most of them cried when we were talking. And mm. that's because we carry trauma. Either as mm. immigrants, there is trauma in the immigration process, or as daughters of immigrants who endured experience, their parents going through hurdles, even domestic violence in some cases, alcoholism, many issues because they were not accepted in a system that was not ready for them. So trauma, trauma, that came up a lot. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's where we come from. And we have to acknowledge that, that we come from a culture of denial, of inferiority, that we were labeled inferior mm -hmm. and that we went through a lot of trauma to come to where we are. I want to talk about generational beliefs and understanding where we come from and how that influenced the way our parents, our grandparents, our great-great-grandparents, the way they thought, how it influences us today. 
And I want to read a little paragraph from the book, if you allow me to, of course. (laughs) It says, our perceptions and cultural limiting beliefs get passed on to younger generations. This means the way we see the world has been influenced by our parents and grandparents, whom in turn were influenced by their own parents and grandparents, and so on. So if you had to guess how old the information in our unconscious is, how far in time should we go? A couple hundred years? So if a colonial mindset gets passed on, where do we start to break the chain of inferiority, isolation, and victimization? Let's talk about that a little bit. So essentially, neuroscience and research show that by the time you're in puberty, your belief system is quite set, meaning Mm. that the experiences you had growing up, particularly in the first 10 to 15 years of age, get ingrained in your unconscious and in your subconscious. And that directs your decisions, your, your behaviors, and influences how you act the rest of your life. So if you think about And I invite the audience to think about the experiences you had growing up and also what you thought was possible for you to achieve. Mm -hmm. Probably is a limited version of the many opportunities opening up for Latinas today in the world. And because we come from ancestors where the woman had a very limited role in society, a very specific role at home, Mm. and most of our mothers and grandmothers did not have the professional experiences, the educational experiences that we have. We grew up believing that what they achieved is what we could do, that, that, we, that was our ceiling. Mm-hmm. So the risk is to be passing that on to future generations. Mm-hmm. See, but look at this. If we were ingrained in our mindsets through what we observed and what we heard and what we experienced growing up, up until we were 10 to 15, by human beings who had their belief system set by the time they were 10 to 15, who in turn, you know, that goes back in time through ancestors and ancestors and ancestors. If we are not aware of what's driving our behaviors and how we limit ourselves as Mm -hmm. we enter those new spaces of opportunities, we're going to be passing them on to our kids as well. And this is particularly relevant for the Latino community because other cultures have been a step ahead in creating opportunities for women. But for Latinas, we are indeed a large proportion of us us, our first generation to go into those spaces. So while we love our ancestry and that's something our, our heritage, something super important to embrace, we also need to be aware of that in our subconscious, There are some behavioral traits and patterns that do not match what the world Mm -hmm. offers to us today as Latinas. There's a part in the book where you talk about growing up Catholic and some of those limiting beliefs that were attached with your spirituality. Something resonated with me personally. Let's talk a little bit about that. Thank you for bringing that up because each one of us has a different experience with religion. Mine, I can share was very attached to guilt. Uh, I had to reinvent my relationship with spirit, with a higher power. I had to, because it's a very important pillar in my life. Spirituality is one of my key pillars, but I had to reinvent it because growing up and going to Catholic school, I felt that I was unworthy. And I also filtered the information that I was receiving from those adults around me. And I embraced that, I wa- that it was not okay to make money, that making money was not the way to heaven. Being poor is the way to heaven. So the moment you start making money, it generates guilt. So we were talking about the mindset being fixed, quite fixed by the time you're 10 to 15. So imagine what it does to you when you receive lots of information at that age saying that you need to be poor to be loved by God, (laughs) Mm. right? You need to be poor to be a good person because money is not the way to heaven. So that's one thing. So there was a lot of guilt, a lot of, you know, resistance to to succeed, to make money. And I have to say on this planet, we need money, Mm -hmm. not only Mm -hmm. to survive, but the money when it's in good hands, in the hands of conscious people, it makes a huge difference in the world for others. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I, I really believe that, you know, the misunderstanding of religion in our countries, because it was used during colonization as a tool for control. 
That's mm-hmm. what it was. So we need to redefine our relationship with our own spirituality and to really embrace whatever that means for you. But definitely when it creates guilt in you, that's a red flag because that's not who we were created to be. We were not created to be playing a small version of ourselves or feeling guilty about winning and succeeding. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right? So that, that's a big one that comes from colonization times. And sometimes we even feel guilty about talking about it because we feel that we are denying the existence of higher power or that we are going against the Catholic church, whatever that is. But it is important that we have these conversations because we need to heal our relationship with that, that spirituality. So that's one of the key. And I yeah. have to say that my older brother, Ricardo, is a priest in the Catholic church. So I have been, you know, I, I know what I'm talking about. And I had this conversation with him. Mm-hmm. I said, I believe I misunderstood what spirituality really is. And he said, yes, spirituality should not be about guilt or feeling really bad with yourself when you succeed. It's not about that. It's and about this coming love. from a Catholic priest. So yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. My relationship with my own spirituality completely changed when I embraced that because I am created by a loving being and I am loved exactly as I am, I am worthy of success. I am worthy of making money. I am worthy of being happy and fulfilled. I was created to be happy and fulfilled. That's my mission on this planet. That's our inheritance to all of us. That's available. But we were, you know, made to believe that that is wrong. Yeah, that's where we need to transform our mindsets to we're worthy of it. In part two of your book, you talk exactly about that unlearning and healing our our colonial mindset. Uh, You talk a lot about unworthiness, as uh, we mentioned, and you talk about embracing the voice that tells you that you are not good enough. What do you mean by embracing that voice? So you know how we all have those inner voices that are not very supportive, that sometimes Mm -hmm. say that, oh, you are not good, you don't know how to do this, you have no no idea what you're talking about. Those are coming from our cultural limiting beliefs. We all have those, we're human. But if you resist those and you try to silence them, they become louder. Mm. So something that I always suggest is to embrace, to accept that as part of being human, you will have those voices in you. Mm-hmm. And when I hear my voice, my voice that says, you're not good enough, Valeria, what are you talking about? You have no idea what are you doing? I tell myself, thank you. I am learning. Mm. I am learning on this journey. I'm human. So that gives me a sense of compassion towards myself because those voices will continue to exist. It's part mm-hmm. of the human experience. So by embracing the voice that tells me that I'm not good enough, it starts to become quieter. So essentially what you're, what you're saying, you're not silencing that voice. You're acknowledging it's there. So you're not denying that it's there, but it's really looking at it from a compassionate lens and really just saying, okay, I hear you. Thank you. But I'm going to focus on this or uh, that information doesn't serve me. I'm going to channel, channel it in a different way that does serve me. Exactly. And one of the stories in my book, Aixa, Aixa Lopez, she also went through this and she shared with me in in the book that she started to focus not so much in what she could not do, but in what she could do. So when we get entangled in the voice that says you're not good enough, you can't do this, you go down a spiral. But when you say with compassion, I know I am learning, I am human, I am growing but I will focus on what I can do. And this Mm. is what I know I can do. This is where I can make a difference. This is what I know how to do well. That's when your life starts to go in a more intentional direction. Otherwise you could spend your time fighting inside your head with yourself, trying Mm -hmm. to suppress the voice entirely. But the reality is as humans, we will continue to feel doubt. Mm -hmm. That's part of the human experience. No one on this planet has Mm -hmm. no fear or no doubts. You know, it's part of the human experience, but it's about how do I leverage on that shadow, let's say, to switch it and to move my life into the space where I can really move the needle forward for myself and others. You talk about Aiza 
But there are also many stories of other women in your book. And I love that they serve as examples of all the different parts of life that we as Latinos come from. Those, as you mentioned, that were immigrants, those that are children of immigrants. Tell us a little bit about the stories that impacted you and how you wove them into your book. So each story was extremely revealing to me because some of these Latinas I knew, or I believe that I knew <laughs> for <laughs> a decade. But when we sat down and started to talk about their past, I learned that I didn't know much about them. Mm. There were aspects of their upbringing, childhood experiences that were traumatic, that were transformational, and I had no idea about them. And for instance, this woman that I have known for a while, she came to the U.S. crossing the desert from Mexico, and I had no idea. Mm. Another one came here because, you know, she was running away from trauma. She came here. Her mother sent her here with a passport that had a different name on it. And she didn't know what she was, you know, she had no idea what was going on. She was only 13 years old. Hmm. And I've known this woman for a while. These are community leaders. These are executives. These are mothers. And when you connect with people at a deeper level and you hear those untold stories, it's really eye-opening. But one of the, um, I would say, the aspects of most growth for me personally mm -hmm. was to connect with Afro-Latinas because mm. I didn't know that Afro-Latinos make up for around 25% of all Latinos. And I didn't know that they feel generally that they do not belong to the Black community, but they do not also belong to the Latino community. They do not really feel they belong or they feel they are not accepted, I should say, in any of those. And that opened my eyes because when I started to see publications and pay attention to the information that is online, I saw that we don't have many Afro-Latinos being showcased, mm -hmm. right? Their voices are suppressed by our own culture. <laughs> I mean, think about, think about like las telenovelas. Sí. When, when have you seen uh, a protagonista, a star of a telenovela be Afro-Latina? Nunca. Jamás. Nunca. Nunca. Ni representación. And if they are represented, how are they represented? Siempre sí, son... como el criminal. O el criminal o, o, o the maids. Right, la criada, la criada o la, el servicio. That's, but yeah. never, never in form of, of yeah. power. You, in your book, you talk about transitioning into that. You talk about grasping the impact of systematic bias and colorism. One of the, the chapters that you talk about is addressing systematic bias by becoming human again. What do you mean by becoming human again? I believe that the root of systemic bias is that we have lost connection with our essence because all humanity, and this is a little bit of a spiritual point of view, the full planet shares one essence, right? Mm -hmm. We are souls having a human experience. We didn't choose to be white or black. We didn't mm -hmm. choose. So I believe that by putting people in categories as human race, has, we were all indoctrinated to, <laughs> to embrace that as well, right? Is, I believe it's changing now for the younger generations, but we were indoctrinated or we heard so much growing up about really nasty comments about other cultures. Mm -hmm. And that has been very ingrained in our Latin American culture to criticize other cultures or people of color, make comments. So when we lose touch with our essence, which is that we are humans, all of us, we are humans on this planet having experiences, right? When we lose touch with our essence, that's when these divisions or labels or buckets start to take place. And systemic bias essentially exists, in my opinion, because we have not yet connected with the root of who we are. And I mentioned in the book a transformational exercise that I went through in my 20s. Mm -hmm. I was in one of those development, you know, personal development trainings, and they put soft music. It was mm -hmm. a crowded room, maybe 100 people. And they had us walk through the room in silence, just looking at each other in the eyes. That's all we were allowed to do. And Johnny, I had a lot of resistance to approach some people, mm -hmm. men, for instance. Mm -hmm. I had like some, you know, that's when you learn your resistance patterns. Mm -hmm. Who am I trying to avoid? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. interesting. But then when you connect with those humans through the eyes, 
and you really look in the eyes, everything that is skin color, gender starts to melt. Mm-hmm. It really does. And you look forward to connecting with the next person through that deep experience of looking through the eyes, because that's our connection. That's the mirror of the soul. So if we connected as human beings more with the essence of the, the, the person sitting in front of you, and for a second, we dropped all of our conditioning about gender, race, class, right? We would be able to connect with that deep essence and systemic bias would start to melt down. We would operate in a different way as a collective. This Mommy Break is brought to you by Mi Legacy Shop. Mi Legacy Shop is a marketplace that I personally created that celebrates our Latinx heritage and promotes Spanish language learning. You can shop our best-selling onesies or child tees with sayings like sana sana colita de rana. Tell the world, I'm not a regular mom, I'm a Latina mom with one of our eco-friendly totes. Or you can also download print-at-home flashcards and educational material that will help your child learn Espanol. Use promo code POD25 or POD25 and get 25% off your first order. That's Mi Legacy Shop spelled M-I-L-E-G-A-S-I shop.com. No te lo pierdas. In the book, you mention a lot of competition within our own culture. And I love that you address this as a culture. I feel like we are still generations behind where we need to be. Like other minority minority groups have become so powerful in the United States because they help and support each other to rise up together as a minority group. But within the Latino culture, hay mucha competición. There's just too much competition. And instead of rising up collectively, it's like each, each person is on their own. How can we overcome this within our culture? Where does that start or how do we start? So we need a full mindset transformation. First, we need to realize that this is part of the colonial mindset. There is part of our colonization that was about survival. And to survive, you had to side up with the rulers, right? Mm -hmm. With those in power. And I see that behavior today in our, you know, in our culture in the U.S. is when Latinos are given a space or a seat at the table, they are very hesitant about bringing other Latinos. They want Mm -hmm. to, in a way, belong to the powers in the Mm -hmm, room. mm -hmm. They feel perhaps ashamed about our own culture or hesitant Mm -hmm. about the ability of other Latinos to do a good job. So there are many layers to that, right? But one that is one of the leading causes to me of this issue is the mindset of scarcity. There Mm. is not enough for all. Yes, yes. So because there is not enough for all and because the system has not been fair, we have to Mm -hmm. say the system has not provided equal opportunities for Latinos yet. There is one chair that opens up. We should have three or four, but one opens up. And there we go, 10 Latinos trying to get that chair without realizing that the best approach would be whomever is the Latino to get that one chair has a mission to open three more for other Latinos. Mm, mm. So there is a lot of competition. There is also the unconscious bias towards our own community, the colorism, the machismo. Men Mm -hmm. believe in our culture, there is this systemic bias existing within, within ourselves that men can do a better job than women because in our mindsets as Hispanics, the ancestral belief says that the woman belongs in the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we are, you know, facing. This is what we are facing right here. It's like all of these, all of these beliefs that we have are really creating certain patterns and decisions. So what do we do? That was your question. Where do we start to change this? So particularly for competition among Latinos, I would say we need to be absolutely intentional as a community to understand our own individual biases towards other Latinos. Let me give you an example. I used to have an accountant that was a white Caucasian man. Mm-hmm. That was my accountant. And when somebody asked me, can you recommend an accountant? Yeah, here goes. Peter Smith, here's mm-hmm. the accountant for you. One year ago, I said, what am I doing? I want to help other Latinas. So I hired a Latina accountant. 
Mm-hmm. And I really realized that I had been hiring this guy because I had this mindset, he must do a better job or he must know the U.S. tax system better than a Latina immigrant from Colombia, by the mm-hmm. way. <laughs> so guess what? I had to change my own mindset, remove my lenses and really see how do I need to change my belief system and the way I see other Latinos because I want to help and open opportunities for them. But first I need to remove all those biases that I have towards my brothers and sisters in the community. That's the first step. Start working with ourselves. As a first generation Latina in America, my parents immigrated, but I'm first generation American. I feel like this generation is the one that is struggling to be that bridge where we came from and where we are going. Sometimes it's very hard because we are trying to break those patterns within ourselves, but even harder when you're working on yourself while trying to raise children. There are a few things that you mentioned in the book that I absolutely love, like taking responsibility. Let's talk about playing the blame game and why we as Latinos have for so many years pointed the fingers at everybody else when we should really be looking within ourselves? That's such a great question. (laughs) Thank you for asking that because that's one of the key points to address for us to really see a change in our community. Because of where we come from, our mindset, (laughs) heritage, we took the victim position. Oh, I am not given opportunities. Oh, the system is not supporting us. Mm -hmm. Oh, we don't give, you know, they don't give us the promotions. They don't pay us well. Mm -hmm. But we need to, point that finger, not to others, but to us. Why? It's very frustrating mm-hmm. to be blaming others for our faith. It's very frustrating and it takes you nowhere. So you can spend the full life really wasting your precious energy, looking outside and blaming the world. Or you can say, what do I need to change from within? What am I doing that could be different? so that the outside starts to change. And I will give you a very practical example for those working. If we say, oh, I am not being considered for promotions. I never get paid my worth. You need to look inside and say, do I feel worthy of making more money? Mm. Am I asking for the money that I want to make? Am I putting myself out there, adding value? Am I talking about my work without feeling guilty for tooting my own horn, right? So Mm -hmm. things like that. It's like, what do I need to do to change? And that was the biggest struggle that I had because it's so much easier to blame others. In that way, you don't feel that you need to do anything about it. (laughs) It's their fault, right? But when you look inside, that is, you know, sometimes hard and you have to have a lot of compassion. Same thing with the inner voices, Mm -hmm. a lot of compassion towards yourself to say, this is what I have gone through. This is what, this is the way that I'm limiting myself and I'm creating my own reality. But and don't also, do it with guilt. You know, it's like you, when you do it with, I'm responsible for creating my life, it gives you huge power because possibilities open up. And I will also say that it takes courage because we are have very heavily influenced by others, by our community, by our families, by what other people think and say and like I'll give you one of my personal examples. I was uh, applying for a position. It was a seniority position in a company. And I told my husband, my husband, who's not Latino, but he's also an immigrant. I told him that I felt that I, what they were paying was not enough. And I said to him, I am going to ask $10,000 more than what the max of the salary uh, that they're offering is. And he said to me, oh, you're crazy. Why, why would you even think that? And I said to him, well, I'm not going to switch jobs to do the same thing, to earn the same amount of money. I said, I believe that I am worth more. And you know what, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be long story short, I ended up getting the position. The HR person said to me, I don't know who you are, or what pool you have, but never in, in the 20 plus years that I have done HR has anybody uh, been offered uh, so much money for this position and the company, you know, agreed to it. And on top of that, I was given uh, a bonus um, and I negotiated a much higher bonus, but 
going back to that is that you need to have the courage to speak up for yourself. And if there is something that you truly believe that you are worth more, or there is something in your heart that you believe that you can do, and you're not being compensated for it, then you have a mouth, use it. And what's the worst thing that they can say is no, right? That's the worst that they can, that they can say is no, but at least, you know, that you tried and you fought for yourself, because if you don't fight for yourself, who's going to fight for you? Yes. You know, so it's like calladita, calladita, and then what's going to happen is that you continue that cycle. Sí, totalmente. Now, statistics show, I love numbers. I love the emotional part of those stories and everything and the connection to the heart, but also the mind, bringing the numbers to the table. And numbers show that Latinas make half of what white men make here in the US, half. So if you're listening to this as a Latina, chances are you're making less than your market value. Number two, I believe that we have an expected inflation of 7%. So mm -hmm. all of us should be asking for an increase. And, and if you're a business mm -hmm. owner, to increase your pricing. This year more than ever, because there is going to be high inflation. Mm -hmm. So we make less and there is inflation. So this year, all of us should go out and ask for that incremental money. But first you need to do the internal work, work right? You need to make sure that you understand that you're worthy of that money, meaning write down a list of all your great contributions. And as we Latinas, because we come from this culture of inferiority in a way, mm -hmm. third world countries, they made us believe in a way, not victims, but culturally we were mm -hmm. influenced to, to really believe that what we bring to the table is not so important, but guess what? We are multicultural, multilingual. We have talents that add huge value to companies in the US. And because there are so many Latinos, 20% of the US are Latinos, 30% will be Latino by 2060. These companies need to understand how to tap into the Hispanic market and the experts on how to do it, it's us. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Transforming our mindset starts with us and change begins with us. As we're raising little ones, as moms, how do we empower them to, as you mentioned, break the chains? So to break the chain means to make sure that we are aware of these cultural limiting beliefs that we carry and that we not just change our own mindset, but, but that we make sure that they do not perpetuate with our children. And here we need to be practical. For instance, if you have a tendency that when your children are speaking up, you shut them down, that's a warning sign because mm -hmm. that comes from our culture of calladita te ves más bonita or kids don't have an opinion here. Mm -hmm. Only adults make decisions. I heard that a lot growing up, right? Mm -hmm. But that's something that if we continue to, to tell to our kids, we're going to perpetuate our culture of silence. Mm. So. It's about not just healing ourselves from within, but creating the space for our kids to explore who they are, to embrace their heritage, to have a voice. Here in the US, something that struck me entirely when my kids were little is the show and tell, right? Mm -hmm. They were bringing a toy to preschool, talking about that. That's public speaking. Mm -hmm. So then they go into these spaces as teenagers and college students and adults and they can communicate so fluently. Mm -hmm. They have a voice. They ask for what they want. So we need to allow our children in our community to really explore their own path, to find their own voice. And by us breaking the chain of finding our own voice, it's a perfect example on them because they are, in, in essence, looking at what we do. We become the role models. And I can give you an example with my daughter, Valentina. So when I started to do all this work and this research about our community, I became very passionate about sharing that with my daughter. And two things happened. One is that she went to a soccer class. That's, some, that's also in the book. She went to a soccer class and boys were playing against girls. And the coach said, okay, we're going to give an advantage to girls, three to zero, because, you know, boys are faster or stronger, whatever. And my daughter went to the coach. She, she spoke up. She said, Mr. Coach, I don't agree with that because that means that we are fragile or not as powerful or faster mm -hmm. or compared to boys. This should be zero, zero. And the coach looked at her and said, you're right. Let's do it zero to zero. Let's start even. So it becomes 
not just the mindset of we are equally powerful, but also the mindset of I can speak up and advocate for myself. I was not raised to do that. I was raised to accept whatever adults were saying. So that's one example. And the other example is like recently at school, she was invited to be part of the Latinx group. Mm -hmm. And she was hesitant to do it because she didn't know anybody, you know, as a teenager, you don't know what Mm -hmm. to do. And then she came back home that day, absolutely excited about her experience. She said, oh, mom, all of these Latinas were there and they were in different colors, like your book Mm -hmm. talks about. (laughs) So, you know, and and she said, I'm a proud Latina. And that day I said, because I embrace my own heritage with pride, she can embrace who she is with pride. She's looking. She's looking. So it's about creating the space for them to explore and maybe have experiences that we didn't have because we had limited experiences growing up compared to what they have. But it's also about sharing your passion for you know your personal growth journey. Talk about that with your kids. They need to know even your struggles coming to the country or, or your childhood in this country. Share that with them. They need to know. They need to know where they come from because that empowers them. Absolutely. If anything, out of this whole conversation, what struck me the most is knowing that by the age of 15, basically her belief system is already going to be in place. She's going to be seven. So we have a few more years to kind of uh, embrace and and try to empower that belief system. Uh, But when you look at it, it's, it's kind of crazy that by 15, it kind of dictates a lot of decisions that you will make later on as an adult. Yes. However, that can be changed. Absolutely. Because, you know, the growth mindset. And now there are so many studies about how to change the, the subconscious. And I'm a lover of all of that. And I've been practicing that. Yes, I love that. I've been practicing that and it works. Is you, But it starts with awareness. That's the first step. Observation and awareness. Really becoming aware. Stop. Like stop and look at your life. Become aware. That's the first step for them to make the changes. And something that I wanted to share with you is, you know, Johnny, how our cultures are the cultures of the heart. We, as we said before, the hugging of the families, the mm-hmm. kissing, the, the, you know, the, the personal space is this little in mm-hmm. our culture. So there is a lot of uh, heartfelt expression mm-hmm. here in the U.S. It's more the culture of the mind, mm-hmm. right? Where it's more about achievements and results. And, you know, it seems that is, an, that is a culture of less emotions in a way. Mm-hmm. But really, I believe that we are bridging both and our kids mm-hmm. are going to bridge both cultures. And that's the best. It's the combination of the heart, which is extremely powerful, and the mind, both. And imagine when that combination happens, the Ooh, bridging of power. <laughs> yeah, that's what we are doing as Latinos. And that's what our kids will do as future leaders of this country. It's going to be extremely powerful. And we are the ones as mothers who have the blessing to work with these young minds and hearts, right? Bringing them up and creating for them this world of opportunities for them to really lead the U.S. to where it needs to be. We know this. We love this country. And we also really see how many things can be improved. And that to me is when you marry both heart and mind. What would you say to the Latina mom that perhaps is not a career woman, that perhaps is not an entrepreneur or businesswoman, whose biggest role right now is her family life? How should she listen to this information and still feel empowered to believe that she is creating change in her life and a difference in her children's life? First of all, I want to tell you that I applaud you. I really do. I know how hard it is in a culture that places your worth based on how much money you bring every month, I applaud you for staying with your kids and making this a priority and a focus for you. It takes courage, number one. Number two, be aware of any guilt that you may have in the process and release that guilt. What you're doing is extremely valuable. And we all know, those who had the privilege to be close to our parents growing up, we all know what that means and how life transformational it can be. But something that I want to also tell you, and this is coming from my own mistakes, is please remember to put yourself first. 
please remember to make space for what you want for yourself, time with yourself, time to do things that you love without guilt for doing them. That was my hardest lesson. I essentially stopped doing everything that I love to do. And I dedicated my life to my children and to my work. And I burned out. And I had to really learn that unless I give to myself first, there's no one good I can share with others. I was not being the best version of myself. I was quite exhausted and nasty, (laughs) reactive, more than anything reactive. So if you're feeling reactive or exhausted, you know, take the time to do something for yourself every day, whatever that is, even a 15 minute nap, taking a walk, reading a book, Mm -hmm. something, taking a hot shower, take the time for taking care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially as well. Valeria, this has been such an amazing conversation. I can go on and on and on. (laughs) Where can my listeners get more resources and where can they find the book? So I do a lot of sharing and I post a lot of information in Instagram, Valeria Allo underscore author. And they can also visit my website related to the book. It's uncolonizedlatinas.com. I will provide links, all the links in the show notes for you. So be sure to check those out. Her book is called Uncolonized Latinas, Transforming Our Mindsets and Rising Together. Um, Please go out and buy it and support Valeria. It It is an empowering read. If you read one book, once again, if you read one book this year, read this one because it will empower you and change starts with you. Uh, Valeria, we're going to do a fast round of questions coming up. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We are back and it is a show tradition that we ask our guests the same round of questions. Valeria, this is your fast round of questions. Excellent. Let's do it. Okay. Valeria, what would you say is your biggest struggle as a mom? To make time for myself to rest more than anything, because I have this belief that doing nothing is wasting time. (laughs) (laughs) You're like me, type A, go, go, go. (laughs) Yes. Okay. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received from a mom or your mom? I will will talk about one from my mom. My mom said, you can do it. You Mm. can do anything that you want in this life. And I then learned that I cannot do everything. It's impossible to do everything, but I can do that. I can do anything and dream big. Yes. That's what I got from her. What I really embrace the number one message. Oh, I love that. I love that. What is the best piece of financial advice that you have ever received or that has helped you save for your retirement, put money Mm -hmm. aside. And also, even if you're married, Make sure you have your financial independence, that you know about money and that you know how to handle money. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100% on both of them. Financial independence is know what you have. That was one thing that my mom said to us. I think because she felt, even though my dad was, for me, an amazing dad, going back to from machista culture, machismo, he was always the one to handle the money. And one thing that my mom said to me, one of the best advices that she gave me when I was young, I went to live with my boyfriend at the time. She said, make sure you have your own money. Make sure that the day of tomorrow that you are unhappy in that relationship, that you can get up and go. And I was like, why are you telling me this? And I realized now that it came from a place of she did not have uh, that understanding and that control of her finances. It was just so powerful. So 100% financial uh, independence and financial literacy for sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What Latino dish would you like to pass down to your kids and why? Asado. Argentinian barbecue. <laughs> why? Because it's part of, you know, Argentinians eat a lot of meat. That's what <laughs> make us Argentinian, I guess. Don't tell me your kids are vegetarian. <laughs> no. <laughs> With cows. Yeah. So I would love for them to master the art of barbecue in Argentinian asado. Yeah. <laughs> what Hispanic home remedy do you swear by? A Hispanic home remedy. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if this is a remedy, but to chase them around with socks when they are barefoot because you can't get a cold if you walk around barefoot. That's more than a belief than anything. 
And then when they have a headache, it's mm-hmm. about putting like a little bit of um putting like a, a cold compress on their eyes and having mm-hmm. them lay down. My mom does that, but with vinegar. Oh, que rico. She's cold compress, but con vinagre. Uy. Always, always as a kid. That's wow. like, and then I'm like, mom, but I'm stinky. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Valeria, what do you want your legacy to be? I want, and I, I had to say there, um, I want my children to really love who they are, to be proud of who they are, and to also be compassionate with themselves. You know, that's what I want them to learn from me. That's all. I want my kids to, to, to find happiness and to be very loving with themselves in the journey of growth. Thank you so much. Once again, Valeria, where can people connect with you? So they can visit me in Instagram, Valeria Loe underscore author, or my website for the book, uncolonizedlatinas.com. There you have it, uncolonizedlatinas.com. The book is available at all major retailers, or you can also purchase it on Amazon, which is where I purchased mine. And she has a very, a very special deal going on with the ebook. Can you share that with us? Yes, thank you. The ebook is going to be available until February the 4th, this Friday at $2.99 on a special promotion. Oh, so definitely, definitely take advantage. That's going to be happening until Friday. Así que tienen hasta el viernes to do that. Valeria, thank you so much. Muchas gracias, Jenny. Thank you for having me. I love this time together. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Y mucha suerte con el libro. Gracias, muchas gracias. Valeria's book challenges the way we were brought up to think while painting a clear road of how we can better navigate our lives as Latinas and essentially break the chains that continue to hold us back. It's understanding where we come from. It's unlearning and healing our colonial mindset. It's beginning to understand and grasp the impact systematic bias and colorism has had and the role we as individuals play in it. It's also getting to the root of yourself and, quote, decoding, end quote, and understanding how to best support yourself in your journey. Becoming an uncolonized Latina is looking at your life with compassion, taking responsibility, and acknowledging that while you may continue to have limiting beliefs, that you have the love and courage to tell yourself, thank you, I am learning. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Latina Mom Legacy Podcast. Como siempre, mil gracias. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at the Latina Mom Legacy or at Mi Legacy, spelled M-I-L-E-G-A-S-I. You can also sign up for La Lista and stay up to date with everything that's going on by simply clicking on the show notes in your podcast platform or visit the latinamomlegacy.com and click on today's episode. You'll also find links to today's recommendations and show special. Finally, want to support this podcast? The best way to show your support is to write a review. Reviews are a way the podcast can get visibility and empower other moms like you to connect, create, and carry on our Latinx heritage. Un beso, un abrazo, y hasta la próxima. Ciao, ciao. What do you want your legacy to be?